2: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Hitting Pause. Consumers, companies, and the markets signal a yellow light for reopening amid a pandemic. Some U.S. states seeing an uptick in coronavirus cases. Dr. Scott Gottlieb.
3: We know that there's a delay between the implementation of policy and actually affecting the scope of the epidemic. So whatever these states do right now is really going to help them in about two weeks.
2: Disney delaying reopening its california theme parks indefinitely. But Florida's parks are still on track despite an employee petition to postpone. Disney watcher and analyst Rich Greenfield.
4: You would think that Disney would be taking a far more cautious approach sort of just shows you that Disney's under a lot of pressure financially.
2: And the markets can't ignore worried sentiment after months of federal support and some less bad news. Allianz Chief Economic Advisor, Mohamed Al-Aryan.
1: What is the next anchor for markets? And it's not clear to me where that's going to come from.
2: It's Thursday, June 25th, 2020. Days are getting shorter. Squawk pot begins right now.
5: Well, even though the days are getting shorter, it's good over. morning, everybody. It's Welcome over. to Squawk Box here on CNBC. You are such a nudge for it's reminding over. me every day Summer. about that.
6: Summer's over. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs>
5: Summer's not over. It's just beginning. Okay. The days are still long right Winter's now. Coming. We're going to take that. <laughs> okay, Jon Snow. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and
6: Andrew Ross Sorkin. Um, we all have been... I mean, I don't think we've, any of us have missed the day, have we? Since... February. No, I don't we, think we've any been of been here since are, February We have not missed yeah. a single day, and maybe someday we'll need to take some time off. Uh, it's not like anything taxing has been happening uh, to worry about uh you know with your family or or your money or anything mm-hmm. else so But the day will come when I want to take a vacation, I think, and I, I know viewers are out there going yes, yes, uh, some uh, but <laughs> uh, you know and, and, and we're, we're considering it viewers. now and i'm thinking, I'm looking at it plain. Reservations, Right. Because, you know, we may drive yeah. somewhere, but, you know, you can't drive if you leave the, the, you know, if you go to try to go to the Caribbean or something. And, you know, I'm making these, I'm going through the motions. Oh, here's a fair, blah, blah, blah. That that seems to fit. But what's going to happen the day before when it's like. I'm headed to get on a plane tomorrow. It, it, I don't know what it's going to be like. In July. And, and by the way, In would you August. travel would In, you
5: travel to a state where you see these big spikes that are happening? And spikes that we weren't anticipating right. probably 10 days would ago. Would you go
6: to Disneyland? You, know, you
5: buy a ticket, you plan for it.
6: I mean, keep it closed. And then do you
5: have to, what, what happens when you come back? Do you quarantine for two weeks when you come right.
6: back? So, I mean, there are real world problems that, you know, when we, you know, we read about it and, and we think, oh, you know, it this, these are other people considering these things. But when you really bring it home to yeah. yourself, when I'm looking at these, you know, looking at United app and it's like, well, wait a second, you know, I'm pretending I'm going to do it. And then I'm saying, what do I need to do? To I guess you go through a temperature check. You got to wear a mask. You could wear the for the entire flight. You're wearing the mask. Right. And, and, and I drive. Have you seen they say that the air the real the air really does circulate a lot. That's not something supposedly to worry about. Do you guys buy into that? that that's what they're telling us. It turns I, I over a like 18 times. There's time. no way
5: would wear a mask. And the I tray know, but I have table. Old, there's no way would wear a mask. The,
6: the tray table is supposedly so clean you could eat off of it. Have you heard that one, Becky? Yeah. In Fact um, you can just go ahead. you can start eating a banana, put it in the seat back pocket, <laughs> take it back out and just continue eating it without even ever thinking about it. Would you ever do that, Becky? You would never? You go first.
2: (laughs) No. The United States has set a record number of new coronavirus cases in a single day, with over 45,000 new infections reported just yesterday. States, including Arizona, Texas, Oklahoma and California, have all set single-day case records this week health experts said on Monday that the resurgence in cases in southern and western states could be traced back to Memorial Day, when many officials began loosening lockdowns and reopening businesses. And while there's still no FDA-approved treatment for COVID-19, a number of companies are working on different therapeutics and making progress. So far, Gilead's antiviral remdesivir is the only drug to show some effectiveness in treating the disease. Earlier this month, researchers from Oxford University announced they found that dexamethasone, a cheap and widely used steroid, reduced death rates by about a third among the most severely ill COVID-19 patients. Well, as you might expect, after a headline like that, there's been a surge in demand for Dexamethasone. We heard this morning from Meg Terrell, CNBC's senior health and science reporter.
0: According to healthcare analytics company Vizient, with data just out this morning, in the week after those results uh, were released, demand went up 610 percent among their member hospitals in the U.S., and the fill rate of prescriptions went down from almost 100 percent to just about half. Now, that doesn't mean that hospitals can't access this drug, it just means that perhaps the entire prescription wasn't filled. Immediately. Now, I've been reaching out to try to figure out what the access to this drug is like. Cardinal Health, the drug distributor, telling me that it currently has enough supply, but due to inc- uh, significantly increased demand and the potential for supply issues in the future, the drug is subject to allocation protocols, which means that it's distributed according to customers' historical ordering patterns. Uh, Now, this drug is given both orally as a pill and through an IV and the IV formulation, Erin Fox at Utah tells me has been in shortage since at least 2011 that she's been tracking according to these on uh, because of these ongoing manufacturing issues for these sterile injectable products. Uh, Now, according to the FDA drug shortages database, at least four companies are reporting that IV form has been in shortage and they're citing increased demand. Uh, We reached out to all of them, didn't hear back. Mylan does say on the FDA drug database that its drug is available, but it does cite that increased demand. And guys, companies like Pfizer and Sanofi are also smaller makers of this product. They don't supply, at least Pfizer doesn't in the US, but they do say they're looking into increasing production for the eight countries they do supply. Back over to you.
5: Hey Meg, that makes it sound like there is going to be much more supply of this than there was for hydroxychloroquine when we thought that that might be a potential help. Is that the feeling you get on that? Hydroxychloroquine is an interesting
0: one because it was only used for very specific indications like malaria and autoimmune diseases. And so the demand we saw for that spiked an incredible amount uh, and companies were supplying it. But now there's all this leftover hydroxychloroquine that's not being used for COVID after we found out it didn't work. That's good news for the folks who actually do need it. But dexamethasone was a much more widely available and widely used drug before this. So a bit of a different situation.
5: Okay, great. Meg, thank you. It's good to see you. Uh, Joining us right now to talk about this and much more is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He is former FDA commissioner. He's also a CNBC contributor, and he serves on the boards of both Illumina and Pfizer. And Dr. Gottlieb, um, you're not the type of person who says, I told you so in any sort of circumstance, but you did warn us that some of these states look like they were hitting potentially um, pandemic levels or outbreak levels um, within those hot spots. And the numbers that you worried about have all kind of come to fruition this week. What, what are you thinking at this point?
3: Well, I think it's going to be difficult now to get this under control. They still have a window of opportunity to do that. But if you remember New York City, New York City announced their stay-at-home order on March 20th. It went into, that was a Friday. It went into effect that Sunday. And they didn't peak in the number of cases that they recorded, which was 7,000, which was less than what California recorded yesterday until, I believe, April 7th. So almost three weeks went by between the time that they put in place that stay-at-home order and the peak number of infections. So we know that there's a delay between the implementation of policy and actually affecting uh, the scope of the epidemic. So whatever these states do right now um, is really going to help them in about two weeks, maybe a little bit longer than that. Whatever policy decisions they made a week or two ago, that's what we're seeing flow through right now. And so the next week or two is largely baked in terms of what impact you can have on it from policy. So they need to start thinking a little bit longer term where they think they're going to be in two weeks based on the current trajectory and start implementing policy to try to affect that. And I think the first two things they're going to look at is probably closing some congregate settings. So they're not going to shut down their economies. It's very clear. Um, They're going to weather this, but they need to look at some selected shutdowns of congregate settings like perhaps bars and then look at their healthcare system and make sure they think they're going to have enough capacity in two or three weeks. And if they're worried about that, start to dial back on certain procedures right now, certain elective surgeries to free up some capacity. Now, Texas and Florida have a lot of capacity across the state, but there's parts of even those states that look pressed right now, for example, Houston.
5: Hey, Scott, every time I retweet some of the things you've put out, just looking at concerning numbers on hospitalizations or where there are hot spots, Inevitably, somebody tweets back and thinks that this is, you know, some sort of political statement that you're making. I just want to make this clear from the get go. You served in a, as an official in the Trump administration as the head of the FDA. What you are talking about are the numbers you see as a doctor and a former FDA official and the things that concern you. I want to ask you about testing because from the very beginning, you and Dr. Fauci and others have said that testing, testing, testing is the most important. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, we heard from the Trump administration that the federal government government is not going to be picking up the tab in the near future for that, that it will be pushed back to the states and municipalities for that. Is that something we need to be concerned about or not?
3: Well, we need more testing. I mean, this is something, again, I was writing about back in January, trying to free up the academic labs to get into the testing game and the commercial labs, because I didn't feel the public health labs alone were going to be able to carry the burden. So this has been a consistent theme of mine um, as well. The more that we test and turn over cases, the more we can get people identified and isolated Um, People, when they find out they have a positive infection, will do the right thing. They will self-isolate. They don't want to infect other people. So getting people diagnosed is very important. We certainly don't want to be dialing back testing right now. We're testing a lot in this country. We're doing a good job in most states. Some states are going down, actually. Florida very unusually showed a 10 percent reduction in testing week over week over the last two weeks. But most states are still going up in the number of tests they're performing um, and that needs to continue. That's the way we're going to get a handle on this uh, epidemic. Look, people who don't want to shut down the economy, and I understand why, I understand the impact that that had. But if you don't want to shut down the economy, you've got to decide what you're for. And if you're going to be against um, universal masking, against testing, against tracing, and you don't want to shut down the economy, you're just going to have to tolerate then a very large epidemic. And I think once these epidemics start to spread larger than they are right now in these states, you're going to start to see excess death and disease You're not seeing that right now because it's mostly in a younger demographic in Florida, for example, but it won't stay there. There's a lot of infection in states like Texas and California right now and Florida, for that matter. South Carolina looks troubling. Alabama, Georgia starting to look troubling. North Carolina, Arkansas. So this isn't just confined to a handful of states anymore.
5: Just on an economic front, if consumers don't hear about testing, then maybe they feel better about it. But if they realize there's there's less testing and we don't really know the situation, I would think that they would feel less confident about getting out there if they don't feel like they have the real facts.
3: Well, the reality is what's going to drive this is what happens to the hospitals. And what forced the hand in Texas was the doctors coming together and saying we have a challenge here. And that's what forced people's hands in New York as well. Um, I don't think medical providers, nurses, doctors want to work in a COVID-only healthcare system where they're not getting support of elected leaders. And so, when the hospitals start to get pressed, they're going to they're going to press policymakers to try to take steps to mitigate the burden on the healthcare system. Doctors don't want to take the risk of exposing themselves to a COVID-only healthcare system if if people aren't helping them. And um, when you see Texas Medical Center right now, the projections on their website. They're going to be in surge capacity in a couple of days. And within two weeks, if current trends continue, there'll be an unsustainable surge capacity, which means creating ICUs out of parts of the hospital that shouldn't be turned into ICUs. Right now, 27%, as of yesterday, 27% of all their ICU beds were COVID patients. And so you're starting to see some strains, even on very big healthcare systems, that do have capacity to sustain an awful lot.
7: Scott, uh, talking to a doctor yesterday about the rush now to get access to remdesivir at some of these hospitals in certain states that are hard hit, and the use of remdesivir on younger patients, uh, oftentimes in concert with plasma, apparently it's a very successful uh, effort. However, I heard from a doctor yesterday who suggested we may ultimately have to ration remdesivir uh, and maybe hold some of it back. A lot of it's being used right now. Will we have enough, given the numbers you're seeing?
3: Well, I don't think we're going to ration it in terms of trying to stockpile it in anticipation of something worse. I think we're going to use what we have on the patients who need it. Um, I think it might, be, might have to be allocated carefully, and certain patients who might, might benefit from it won't necessarily get it because they won't meet the clinical criteria that's established because we don't have enough at the current moment. There's more supply coming into the market. Um, I think we, we felt we would have enough of these drugs by the fall. But what we didn't anticipate was that we would be dealing with an epidemic of this scope uh, in June. And so if this continues to build into July and August, and we hope that doesn't happen, these things are going to get pressed.
7: And then uh, finally, and by the way, I I know you're not calling it rationing. That's how the doctor described rationing yesterday, which is certain young people who are getting it today might not get it in the future because they know they're going to need it potentially for uh, for older, older folks or other cases uh, that might be more complicated. But the other question I want to ask you is, given the numbers that have come down so, so well, and, and we're also happy about it in the tri-state area, how do you think about the reopening and how do you think about people's behavior here uh, in this area? Because, of course, we're all now trying to go out. We're trying to do more things. And yet we're seeing these numbers elsewhere around the country. How do you, how should we think about all of that right now?
3: Well, look, I think people in the tri-state region still are appropriately cautious. And that's a good thing. People here are wearing masks. They're being cautious for the most part. You know, there's exceptions about their social interactions because of what we went through. And I think that that's going to have a continued impact on uh, preventing a large epidemic from taking hold in the near term. What's happening in the South right now didn't happen over the last two weeks. This was building for weeks and weeks and probably a month maybe even longer. It takes a while from the introduction of cases into the community to have very widespread community spread and to see it in the form of an epidemic where you're having 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 cases diagnosed a day. And so, you know, New York, it will take weeks and weeks to build that kind of cases in the community. So I think we do have the benefit now of July and August that's not going to be virus-free, and we might actually grow the number of cases as we reopen, but we won't have widespread transmission. Now, that doesn't get us out of the woods for the fall, but I think July and August are out here because we really crushed the infection. As long as we remain vigilant, we should be able to safely reopen against that backdrop. Remember, Mm -hmm. the southern states and the southeast reopened against the backdrop of a lot of spread.
7: Just to put a fine point on it, because I think there's so many people who are dealing with this right now in this area, now that they think things are getting close close to all clear, would you go to a friend's house for dinner right now and eat indoors? If I trusted that friend...
3: Yeah, look, if I trusted that friend, I, I've, I've interacted with friends. I have young children. They've interacted with other young children. But we've narrowed down the, um, the people that we're interacting with to people that we trust the social circle. And it's much smaller than it used to be. So I think you can have reasonable interactions um, with people that you trust. It's not risk-free, but it's low risk. The prevalence here is pretty low right now.
5: Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Uh, we really appreciate it.
2: Next on SquawkPod, the happiest place on Earth hits a snag. Why Disney is delaying reopening its California parks but making no such plan for Florida.
4: I think there's definitely growing fear among the consumer about attending large gatherings, and I would put theme parks in that category.
2: Media watcher Rich Greenfield, right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? This is Squawk Pond. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin.
7: After Disney's uh, shares dropped nearly 4% yesterday and concerns about its theme park reopenings, it announced an inf- indefinite delay last night. Julia Borston joins us now with the latest. Julia.
8: Disney is delaying the reopening of his Anaheim theme parks and resorts and hotels, canceling the proposed phase reopening that was set to start on July 17th. Now, the company is saying, quote, the state of California has indicated it will not issue theme park reopening guidelines till sometime after July 4th. Given the time required for us to bring thousands of cast members back to work and restart our business, we have no choice but to delay the reopening of our theme parks and resort hotels until we we receive approval from government officials. Now, Disney says it will update reopening plans when guidelines are released and will move forward with plans to start opening the mall outside the park as scheduled. Governor Gavin Newsom's office issuing a statement saying he, quote, appreciates Disney's responsiveness to his concerns about reopening amid the recent increases in COVID-19 infections across many Southern California counties. Now, while Disney is pointing to the state approval process, this does come after a dozen unions representing 17,000 Disneyland employees wrote to Governor Newsom last week saying that they believe it is unsafe to open the park. Now, Disney World in Orlando is still on track to start its phased reopening on July 11th. Um, though over 9,000 people have signed a petition. Um, on moveon.org calling to delay the opening of that theme park until there is a decline in the number of COVID cases. Now, there's another issue to watch here for Disney. The company has to evaluate whether or not to delay the release of Mulan. That's its big film that was scheduled for July 24th release. Of course, it had already been delayed. And then the big question there is whether theaters in major markets will be open by then. Andrew?
7: Hey. Hey, Julia, before you go, a couple of things. You know, we're, we're all trying to understand what's going to drive the reopening or the reshuttering of business. In this case, it appears that what's happening in California is being driven by government, not by either a corporation or consumer or consumer demand. How do you think this ultimately will play out in Florida where it's unlikely, I think, that, that the government will shut down uh, Disney World. But again, you talked about the unions. You talked about employees. And then there's going to be the consumer demand picture on the other end. What are you hearing inside of Disney about this?
8: Well, I'm really hearing that the state of Florida and the state of California are handling this entirely differently. Um, the state of Florida has been really enthusiastic about the reopening plan. You know, I listened to the, the meeting that the um, the Orlando County Uh, Government had to try to figure out the reopening plan and the safety conditions there. So I think that it's really going to come down to the state decisions, and um, and I think that to a certain extent, the behavior of people and consumer interest is following those state guidelines. So I think we will probably see Orlando open as planned. Though Disney does have to deal with the question of whether employees really feel safe returning to work, um, and where they are negotiating with unions with that. So I think. Right now, the first step is making sure that the governmental perspectives are aligned. After that, you have to get the employees. And then after that, it's whether or not there's consumer demand.
7: And what, But what is your sense on the consumer demand side of this, given what's happening in Florida? By the way, the NBA obviously is, is, is hoping to get down, uh, down there as well. So there's, there's a lot riding on this. But as we see flare-ups around the country, you're even seeing in places like Texas where the government has not cracked down uh, for example, on, on, on certain things. But the consumers, unto themselves, the public is starting to, just given given, given yeah. some of the real health concerns.
8: You know, it's, um, it's really hard for me to tell. I think there's a really wide-ranging perspective about whether or not people are just so eager to get out of the house. And this is something I hear also about the movie industry. People are eager to get out of the house. Their kids have been cooped up. They've promised their kids something to look forward to. So I do think there will be a certain portion of the population um, that will be eager to get out there. The question is just how many people is it? And I think there was an assumption that by now, by summertime, there would be a, a lull in cases. People would be able to get out there. And I, I, I wonder if that's just sort of changing uh, the people's perception about things, because I think going into the summer, the assumption was it would be totally fine by July to start this phase reopening. And I don't know if people are gonna change their minds, but there is a sense both from the film industry and the parks industry that people are raring to go. The question is whether this new uh, this new spike or increase is gonna influence that.
6: All right, uh, Julia, uh, thanks. Joining us now, uh, Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners, a co-founder. Rich, you're... It's nice. You're you're like a positive guy. Instead of looking at how this affects Disney negatively, you you think it creates opportunities for the streamers like Disney, like Netflix, like HBO Max, like uh, like Peacock. It just means more. Yeah. Than-
4: Look, I mean, everyone's got to be figuring out new strategies, because I think the question that Andrew was asking to Julia is sort of unanswerable. Right. I mean. We don't really know what consumer behavior is going to be i mean i've heard movie studios have been doing studies saying upwards of 50 to 60 percent of frequent moviegoers are not comfortable going back to theaters right now and that's probably sort of pre-vaccine so you know, you're looking at an extended period of time where attendance to movie theaters, even if they open, is going to be severely depressed. So you've got to figure out new things. I mean, look at what Universal did with Trolls. I'm not saying that sort of direct-to-consumer $20 can work for every movie, but I think Kings of Staten Island, a Judd Apatow, Pete Davison uh, film a few weeks ago, did far better. I mean, it got a lot more buzz going direct-to-digital than it would if it probably had come out in movie theaters. And so I think being flexible about how you think about the business is a real asset. And I think in that case, or in, in certainly in, in Universal's case, being connected to Comcast, you know, having the large broadband base, having the video business both in the U.S. and overseas with Sky it is a unique advantage. And, and Disney is unwilling to make those types of decisions. Disney is committed to theaters. I mean, we've had Bob chapek been on your show a few weeks ago recommitting to we are only going to release our major films in movie theaters Uh, And it it just puts them in a lot more of a difficult position than other companies in the space.
6: Yeah, a lot of the stuff before this where we talked about, you know, Disney being a pure play in a lot of things, uh, suddenly the pure play is not looking uh, necessarily – it's just being looked in a different – It's the perfect storm, right? It's it's
4: every part of their business is impacted. You know, you were just talking about the NBA, I think, Andrew. Is the NBA actually coming back? I mean, do players and their families actually want to go to Florida right now? I mean, is that – you know? you know, part of the challenge, right, is that the Disney workers are not part of the bubble. And so they come in and out. You can't force the Disney workers, I understand, into the bubble because they're union workers. And so you you run into all of these challenges in reopening. And I think it's why investors are going to continue to lean and move away from these legacy media names like Disney, look towards names like Comcast, look towards Charter, look towards um, Netflix and and Snapchat and Twitter. I I just think that the, the traditional media space, the pure plays on programming, going to be very difficult over the course of the next six to 12 months.
5: Hey, Rich, we, we talked today about Disneyland and the, the parks in California having a tougher time opening for Disney. But what about Florida? I mean, they're, they're seeing cases increase there, too. Is this Disney wants to reopen the parks, but California officials haven't put out the, the guidelines yet, so they can't, but they're going to go ahead in Florida? Or do you think the Florida parks are at risk,
4: too? You know becky what I, what i'm sort of just staggered by you know is just the disney brand is so important and it's taken you know decades of building up that brand perception and i i get that people want to get out of the house i'm included in that group and my kids certainly want to get out of the house but you know you would think that disney would be taking a far more cautious approach and it wouldn't be you know the government basically pushing back on disney it would be disney saying you know what we're nervous about what's happening in terms of the health crisis in this country we're going to proactively slow down i'm surprised we haven't heard that from from disney Uh, in California, and certainly the same goes in Orlando. I mean, the fact that workers are writing petitions in the thousands in both states sort of just shows you that, like, Disney's under a lot of pressure financially. I mean, they're feeling the pressure to open. And, you know, I think that's the unfortunate side from from, from the consumer standpoint. But I, I really think, you know, to Andrew's comment before... I don't think the consumer demand is going to be there. I think the headlines are so bad. I mean, look at what happened with people being nervous about going to a rally for Trump the other day. I mean, I think there's definitely growing fear among the consumer about attending large gatherings. And I would put theme parks in that category. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see Disney delay the opening, even in Florida. I think the risk factor is, is growing meaningfully
6: You know, a month, two months, a quarter is one thing. Yeah. I, I mean, we look at, at China, I mean, or, or Europe going to happen eventually, right, Rich? How, how much do you penalize but, the, the, but, the stock for what is not going to be permanent, hopefully? Who knows?
4: I think the real question, though, Joe, is what's the new normal, right? I mean, every investors are looking past 20. No, nobody cares. No one is asking me, hey, what is 20 earnings? I don't care whether it's Disney or Comcast yeah. or they don't care. They're looking at 21 and 22. And I think the challenge is how long, you know, when do we get a vaccine? Yeah. When do things, quote unquote, go back to normal? When does travel normalize? It could be a lot longer than the next 12 months to get right. anywhere near where you were in 2019. And I think that's the challenge of why people are looking at a stock like Disney and why it's trading down.
6: Sometimes I think about um, previous generations and, and stuff, and it's like, what, what, so what is this? Feb- Let's say it was February, even if you start uh, dated early, February to where we are now, we're, what is that, two, four months, three, four months, Rich, remember World War II? Four years. <laughs> Four years. I mean, things, you know, it, it, we may not get everything we want, you know, in, in less than one quarter. Or it, it could be, I mean, if it's two quarters, it's like the world is ending, it seems like to us. But maybe oh, I, look,
4: I would go the, the new normal for, I mean, think about it. You book travel six months in advance, sometimes a year in advance. So are you booking a trip to, you know, Disney World right now for the holidays or even for next summer? Probably not. And so or at least a good chunk of that. The movie business. We don't know what the movie business is going to look like over the next year. I think that's why, you know, being creative in how you think about it, whether it's direct-to-consumer with which what you all did with Trolls and and Kings of Staten Island, or whether, you know, you look at what is happening now more and more. Paramount is basically taking that film very quickly for Viacom to CBS All Access or the new CBS All Access you all could do that with Peacock after you launch it more broadly in a couple of weeks. I I think being flexible about distribution is going to be a real key to being successful in the, the, quote unquote, the new normal of media until we get past this.
6: Right. I guess it's the bridge to how long some companies can survive and employees can survive, et cetera. So it doesn't matter that it's much less than, uh, you know, it's not that we're soft. It's just the realities of of what people are doing. Anyway, thank you. Thanks for coming
2: on. Coming up, consumers, companies, and the markets. Some coordinated caution. SquawkPod will be right back.
9: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.
2: You're listening to Squawk Pod. Welcome back. A new spike in the numbers of U.S. coronavirus cases spooking investors around the world. Yesterday was the worst stock sell-off in two weeks. So we turned for market analysis to Mohamed Al-Aryan, Allianz's chief economic advisor. He says the underlying factors driving the sell-off should not have been a surprise to investors watching every headline about the containment and spread of COVID-19. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin.
7: Mohammed, uh, you have been uh, sober throughout all of this, um, perhaps more than more, more than most. Um, having said that, the markets, of course, have uh, continued to push higher on a relative basis. To I think uh, perhaps some of your your earlier sober analysis. How are you thinking about things now? The markets are while 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 moving lower are still marginal relative to. I think maybe the way you were thinking earlier.
1: Good morning, Andrew. Look, the market is looking for an anchor. Um, it had the anchor initial of uh, initially of policies, fiscal and monetary. That anchor then got handed off to reopenings. And then that anchor got handed off to retail flows. But retail flows no longer have the same influence. You could see this from what's happened to the rotation trade. You can see this from what happened um, yesterday. So the big question is, what is the next anchor for markets? And it's not clear to me where that's going to come from.
7: And so as, as you think about this, to the extent that the market takes a, a, a pause or, or perhaps even tumbles, you know, I remember we, we used to ask you, do you buy on the dip? And you said no. Do you feel differently now?
1: So I think people should be ready for more volatility. What I don't like is when I hear people say go for the reopening trade as opposed to the stay-at-home trade. As you just heard, living for co- with COVID is not going to be a linear process. It's going to be bumpy. I also don't think you should fade the U.S. in favor of other markets, especially not emerging markets. They're going to ha- get hit even harder. So the relative calls for me are pretty straightforward. The absolute call is really tricky because it depends on your feel for technicals. And I don't enjoy betting on moral hazard, which is the other way people are playing um, this market, which is betting on more policy. They're betting on the Fed imposing yield curve control. I, I'm not comfortable doing that. But if you're comfortable doing that, I can understand why you would.
7: Well, let me ask you about that when it comes to policy. As we see continued breakouts uh, and spread uh, of coronavirus throughout the country, there is, at least among some investors, an expectation that the government, uh, putting even aside the Fed, but in terms of government programs for small businesses and the like, if you thought those were ending, there's now, I keep hearing, a renewed view that maybe they will
1: come back. And some of them should come back, but they should be much more focused. They should be pro-work And importantly, they should be combined also with two other sets of policies, which is one, making sure we can live with COVID well, which is a health emphasis policy driven approach. And secondly, preparing for the world after COVID. But Andrew, if you put all that together, that's a lot for this Congress to get through before November.
7: And so let me me ask you separately, if you had some money on the sidelines now, are you putting it to work? If you have money in the markets, are you keeping it there? What would you be doing?
1: So I have money on the sideline, and I missed um, the last rally of the last three weeks. I'm not putting it to work here. When it comes time to put it to work, I will be putting putting it to work in names that are, called under the umbrella. And there's two types of umbrella out there. If you are comfortable with moral hazard, the umbrella supported by the Fed, which involves high-quality bonds and certain high-yield bonds, if you're comfortable with a market-based umbrella, it is companies with very strong balance sheet and positive cash flow generation. And there's quite a few of them, by the way, out there. And I suspect they will continue to do well, albeit in a very volatile fashion.
7: What do you think of the big tech stocks that have, uh, have run up and have, have, have stayed up for the most part? At this point,
1: so I like them. I was I was a big buyer initially. I got out because I felt valuation had gotten too high. I would look to get back in if valuations um, were more reasonable. Those stocks have at least two, if not more, of the following criteria that I really like, and you've heard me talk about them: very strong cash on the on on the balance sheet positive cash flow good management and that on the sunny side of both the living with covid and the post covid period so there's a lot to like in those names the question is just valuations
7: what do you think of the travel stocks i mean a lot of them got you know they they first they got pounded then they were somehow loved by at least a certain certain group now people are worrying about them all over again some people think that they're going to be able to raise more and more money in the public from from public investors others believe that ultimately they're going to have to go back to the government
1: so that they'll be able to raise money. Um, Virtually anybody can raise money in in these markets. It's stunning how forgiving creditors are. And that's why we've had a boom, record levels of high yield issuance ahead of a spike in in bankruptcies. Look, travel is tricky. And just ask yourself the question, if the Eastern states are putting sand in the wheel measures to stop people coming from the hotspots, what do you think is going to happen internationally? We are not going back to the free travel that we have all been used to. It's going to take a long time. And this is part of the very unsynchronized nature of the recovery, not just globally, but even within the United States.
7: OK, uh, Mohammed, it is always good to see you and to get your perspective on all of these things, especially uh, as things become or at least appear to be, at least within the context of the markets, more volatile. Thanks so much and talk to you soon.
2: That's the show for today on our Rundown Tomorrow, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy on coronavirus, casinos, quarantine, and summer down the Jersey Shore. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
9: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,